1: To find out if it's right for you.
2: Thanks for joining us today. We're in the newsroom at the Tampa Bay Times for a live recording of Blood and Truth. Last week we finished the eighth episode of a podcast taking you through the case of the state of Florida versus Tommy Ziegler. Ziegler has served 42 years on death row, though he says he's innocent. For more than two decades, he's been asking the state to allow for complete DNA tests of the evidence in his case, and Florida keeps saying no. Today, we're going to talk some more about Ziegler's case and some of the crazy stuff that went on that we couldn't even work into the series. We'll update you on what's happening, and we'll also talk about our impressions of his guilt or innocence. I'm Maria Carrillo, the Enterprise Editor here at The Times. To my left is Leonora LePeter anton the author of the series, and the reporter who's been narrating the podcast. And to my right is Gabrielle Khaleesi, a digital reporter and producer here at The Times. She's going to be looking for your questions, which you can add to the comments throughout the live recording. So we're going to start by having Leonora update what's happening with Tommy's case.
3: So in 2016, state attorney Aramis Ayala was elected to the Ninth Judicial District. Ziegler's attorneys went to meet with her, and they asked if they could get the DNA testing done. Um, She asked for a request to submit to them, and they submitted it about a year ago. And they uh, submitted a 49-page document that demonstrated what they would find or what they would do to, to, uh, you know, determine if Ziegler was innocent or guilty. So about two weeks ago, Ayala's office confirmed to me that they are reviewing the case. And towards the end of last year, Ayala established a conviction integrity unit. And she says that this case is now being reviewed as part of that particular unit.
2: And this is like his Hail Mary, right? Because this is like he's been denied all through the court system. So uh, Ayala, who is now the state attorney in the same county that prosecuted him, is um, I guess what his lawyers are hoping is that she'll say she'll support the DNA testing because prosecutors have been battling it all these years. So he's never really had he's never had a prosecutor support DNA testing. And that's what this pitch is.
3: Yeah. um, Before Ayala, there was Jeff Ashton and he opposed it all the way. And Ayala beat Ashton in a Democratic primary in 2016. So they're hoping that maybe she'll allow them to do the DNA testing. She has not agreed yet, but they they want to do the DNA testing at their own expense, too. That's another right. aspect of this. Uh, the other thing about it is that, you know, I, I think that the thing that that entices us about the Ziegler case is that we don't really, we don't know, you know, we're, there's so many unanswered questions. And I think, um, it makes people uncomfortable that this case is so is so unclear, and um, I think that the DNA testing would uh, allow us to get some clarity and bring some, you know, integrity to the conviction of Tommy Ziegler.
2: And if you haven't been following the podcast or you haven't read the series yet, um, basically, Ziegler's lawyers are saying that the evidence will point away from him that and that he is willing to basically go to go to his execution uh, if it comes back uh, and points to him as the killer. But um, so like you said, so they filed that whole request with Ayala. And then there's also some legislative work being done right now on criminal justice reform. So can you
3: talk about that? Yeah, there's um, a, a state representative named James Grant from Hillsborough and Pinellas. I'm sorry, he's from Tampa, but he his district covers Hillsborough and Pinellas, and he's interested in uh, looking at some DNA legislation, uh, forensic testing legislation. He has uh, considered it in his subcommittee. He's got some people working on it. Um, he wants uh, possibly. He doesn't think it'll it'll come out this year, but it, you know they're working on the how. How do you do it so that um, it's operational and it doesn't cause everybody and their brother to come in and want, you know, some sort of um, new analysis. Um, so he, he said he's working on that right now. Um, so you've got two possible ways that he might be able to get DNA testing um, and provide answers in the case.
2: And one of the things that the reason that uh, we were intrigued by this case, too, is is because the state of Florida 20 years ago had had established a DNA statute, which was supposed to allow people like Tommy Ziegler a chance to get testing. So basically, 20 years ago, they were saying, let's just make sure everybody's where they need to be, and we're not going to execute somebody wrongly. And then, even, even, even with that
3: law, it hasn't happened. So this is trying
2: to correct course, right?
3: Right. I mean, we found 19 people on death row who have not been able to get DNA testing, um, you know, at all, zero they can't get anything. So, um, And eight of them were executed. So clearly the law has not helped some people. In fact, people say that the law has hindered them because of the way it's written.
2: Right. There, it's got a lot of... Uh, there's so many categories of things that you have to... So many boxes you have to check, right?
3: Yeah. And you have to be able to show that it will exonerate the person. It's not that you can just present reasonable doubt. It's that it will exonerate the person. So let's talk about...
2: Whether he's guilty or innocent, like so, I mean, obviously, Leonora and I have had this conversation over the months as we've been working on this series, and well, you go first. <laughs> what's, what's your impression? I mean, like, obviously, uh, you know, with, with this is, this is all hindsight, right? It's um, this crime occurred in 1975. The jury uh, heard the trial in 1976. Um, you're talking about the science back then. You're talking about the way that. Cases were investigated back then. Even even the speed of the trial back then, it went six months, and and he's on trial for a quadruple murder. So, but um, okay, your thoughts. You've met him. You, you know, you've got a chance to talk to him and kind of judge his sincerity.
3: Yeah. So um, I I believe there's enough t- to justify reasonable doubt. I, I will say that um, I don't know everything. There's so much. That I don't know, um, and so as a result, I, I, you know, I can't tell you 100%. He's innocent, um, but I do know that I think that there's enough reasonable doubt, and the 1970s science that was used to convict him, you know, is just completely outdated. And I think that he should be able to test the evidence, and I also think that there's, you know. Um, you know, uh, there's um, – <clears throat> you know, no governor has has wanted to sign Ziegler's death warrant in 30 years. No governor has felt comfortable signing um, Ziegler's death warrant. And yet there's no way to evaluate the evidence in full um, because of the way the just, justice system is set up. So – you're in this sort of quicksand where you can't get out of it and you're stuck. And I just think that, um, you know, um, I think there's too many contradictions. But in terms of saying he's 100 percent innocent now, there are people who think he's 100 100 percent innocent, like Lynn Marie Cardi, a private investigator. She believes she's found another person who she thinks is guilty of this crime. um, And that would be Eunice's brother and Ziegler's brother-in-law and Ray McEachern. He's another supporter of um, Ziegler's and he believes 100 percent that he's innocent based on what he's reviewed. Um, I just feel like there's so many things that I don't know. I remember um, Ralph Hadley, the attorney in the case, told me that um, or said at one point, you know, that, you know, you have a thousand pieces in a jigsaw puzzle. And, um, you know, it only takes 500 of them to get a conviction. Well, the reverse is true, is true, in my opinion, too. If I don't have all the jigsaw pieces, I can't say he's innocent. So I feel like we need the DNA. I feel like that's the missing piece of the puzzle. Um
2: when we were working on this series, and um, you can, of course, you can read the whole series at uh, com slash blood and truth. You can listen to the podcast. But one of the things we did was uh, we wanted to illustrate the prosecution's case. So we actually, as you, as, you, as we went through it, we sort of like, this is why they turned their attention to him. And it's, and it's perfectly reasonable at the time because... Um, there were people, witnesses coming forward and and raising questions about his behavior, and and there's a life insurance policy, and so like you know, okay, here's the case against him. But as Leonora says, so what's happened in these last forty years is people have kept picking away at it and finding other I you know witnesses that night and sort of poking holes in, in what went on, and and yeah, it's like I we were we were we were. We'd be sitting there talking about it like if we were on the jury today, could we have convicted him or would we have some kind of reasonable doubt? And I think there's some reasonable doubt. And so you think, well, the blood evidence, the DNA evidence, the fingernail scrapings, the prints on the gun. If as these scientists are telling Leonora, they could get in and really kind of paint a picture of what happened. Why wouldn't we want to take that picture? And I think you found even people who think he's guilty agreed with that. Right.
3: Yeah. Even the. Like, except for the prosecutors. Except for the prosecutors. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't think it's necessary. One one other thing is that, you know, we in Florida, uh, one of the new ways, w- one of the things that has been suggested is that we need some sort of, um, you know, wrongful conviction commission to look at these cases and that, um, you know, there are another way is conviction integrity units. And. Um, Arama Ayala has created a Conviction Integrity Unit. In fact, she's one of the three, I think, state attorneys that has done that, um, including one in Jacksonville and one in Hillsborough County. Um, and uh, the Conviction Integrity Units, um, you know, can look at these old cases. It's a way to get your old case looked at from the, all of the evidence, because the court system doesn't allow you to look at all the evidence in one place once years have passed well, there's only three places where you can do that in Florida, so everybody in the rest of Florida who maybe has a case like this has to go to um, the courts, the prosecutor, the judges that put them in prison to get this type of consideration. So, um, you know, that's basically what's going on.
2: Um, So let's talk a little more about the the prosecution and, and, you know, the case over the years. So, um, again, if you haven't read it, uh, the series, what uh, what was what's been happening over the years is that Tommy Ziegler's supporters or his lawyers will pick at one particular thing, and then the courts will say that that one thing isn't enough to overturn this case or to get him exonerated. And what they feel like is that over the years they've never been able to paint, a, put all those pieces together. The, the puzzle is a good analogy. But then the another interesting part is that at trial the prosecution's uh, case kind of had a theory about how things happen and what went on. And then over the years, as the defense keeps poking at things, the prosecution kind of changes the, the the way things happen. And so um, a couple of examples you, you have, of course, we, we did mention the raincoat. Um, in one hearing, suddenly, Tommy Ziegler was supposed to have been wearing a, a raincoat. And that was never something that came out at trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you talk about like the fingerprint on the tip of the rubber glove. Right? right. So Talk about that.
3: So so back at trial, <clears throat> the prosecutor suggested that Tommy Ziegler grabbed his father in law, Perry Edwards, Sr. in a headlock and um, and smashed him over the head with a, a metal crank and that that was how he got all this blood under his arm and on his shirt and that it was his father in law's blood. Hmm. But in 2001, Ziegler was allowed to get preliminary DNA testing that showed that a couple of places where they tested, based on a scientist's recommendation, a couple of places they tested did not have his father-in-law's blood. So now that theory that was presented to the jury at trial isn't accurate. So the next thing that happened, um, Jeff Ashton became the prosecutor on the case. And let me see. Where did it go? Okay. So... You know, now this case took a crazy turn because at uh, a hearing to get a new trial after the DNA results, Ashton said, "Are we going to the sex?" Yeah, (laughs) Ashton. Ashton
2: suggested that. Wait, let's just so there. Just so there are four victims at this at this murder scene, right? So Tommy Ziegler's wife and his in-laws, and a man named Charlie Mays, who was a customer. And uh, the defense theory is that Mays, and perhaps with other people, was there that night to rob the store. The prosecution, of course, is that uh, Tommy Ziegler killed all these people and was trying to frame Mays and maybe a couple other guys to take the fall. So Mays is dead. They've come in they're doing the crime scene and everything and mazes pants have been pulled down at some point right right well
3: <clears throat> first off um that night an officer uh named robert thompson suggested that ziegler was a homosexual um that was the terminology he used and it spread to all the investigators and um and that's when this a rumor that Ziegler was a homosexual and that he wasn't happy with his wife. That I was gonna say. So
2: he was married. And he was married, the, and the, the the rumor was that he was sleeping with men on the side. Yes. In an era when you know this doesn't happen, right? Uh, right? Right. I mean,
3: like that in an era where being gay would have been really devastating. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, anyways, at at, a, at this hearing, you know, Ashton says. Uh, to a, a an expert, a DNA expert. Um, now, if Mr. Ziegler is laying on Mr. May's body with his arm region on the torso, wouldn't that put his face in close proximity to the genitals of Charlie May's? If he's laying on his on his side, and the expert says, "I suppose," I mean, I'm I'm not sure where this is all going, but I I haven't. I don't have anything else to report to you on that issue, other than what I've already told you. And Ashton says, "Sure, just another oddity in the case." And the expert says, "That's out of my league." And so there was this suggestion that you know he had some sort of sex with the corpse. Um, that was the next theory uh, that that developed. And then, of course, recently we heard in a 2016 hearing, um, Ken Nunnally came up with a, a theory that Ziegler had a raincoat on, um, you know uh, that an employee of the store, Curtis Dunaway, lost his raincoat that night. And so the theory was, well, he had a raincoat, and that's why he didn't have the blood of the father-in-law or the others on his on his, um, on his clothes. So so you have the, the theory of the case changing multiple times, and Robert Dunham of the Death Penalty Information Center, Told me that um, that's a a classic red flag when the theory of a case changes. Um, You know, it's just a a classic, um, uh, you know, um, wrongful conviction element that they see very often in the cases where others have been exonerated.
2: So we didn't put the reference to um, or the speculation that there could have been sex with a corpse in the in the series because it felt so random and like thrown in as a, um, I, you know, honestly, it's just sort of some weird kind of salacious assumption there to, uh, I guess, I guess make Ziegler look bad. But um, I was going to say one of the one of the things that we kept running, kept running through our mind as we're talking about this case is that um the timing of it all is just so weird. It's so Christmas Eve. And if this man did it, okay, let's, let's assume he's the killer. He's gone from having no criminal history to suddenly murdering four people on a night when he and his wife are expected at a Christmas party at the police chief's house. And and, at a local judge's house. But a, the, a, a sorry, but the police supposed chief was going to be there, right? Yeah. And that same night, he actually arranges for three black guys to be there so that he can try to frame them, and what, one of the theories is he takes of the black men out to a orange grove to shoot the gun so he can get their fingerprints on there, and then brings them back. And how he's supposed to manage these three men while also killing his family? It just seems. And then, and then like, uh, and then it turns out that the fingerprints are actually wiped down. So I, I, I don't know. A lot of it just seems like this and that was all supposed to have taken place within two hours, right, or an hour and a half, I mean, like yeah, um, and so, I don't know, and then there was you know there clearly there were the police initial reports didn't always match up with what was later the testimony there was. um obviously it was a crime scene from the seventies, so people are walking through it, and it's not it's not the
3: standards we use today. Um yeah, you know, one of the things about the blood is that so back in the 1970s, um when this crime occurred, we were able to determine if some if a blood a, dro- a blood droplet was A positive or O negative or whatever. Um, but the only thing that was done in this case was to determine if it was A or O. So blood was never tied to any individual in the case. Um, and it, like, so even to that, the, the, the science of the day could not, like, they didn't do this. They didn't do all the science they could have done even back in the day. Exactly. And so th- theories were developed based on not knowing whose blood was whose and, and Today, experts say that's a big no-no. You need to know whose blood is whose before you can develop a theory. Um, So, you the other little detail about Jeff Ashton, he said at another hearing, he introduced another little detail. Um, He said, uh, in in the same hearing, he said, or in a DNA hearing, he said, Tommy Ziegler is on death row because in the... in the furniture store, the police found the tip of a latex glove that had been severed from the rest of the glove. And in that fingertip was the fingerprint of the defendant. And that after and that that night, after all of these events, he had an injury on his finger. Well, the FBI did a test of that, that severed glove tip, and there was no fingerprint. So, Things like but this was at a hearing where he just stood
2: up and is telling the judge things, and it's being entered into record as if it's true.
3: Correct. Now, I asked Ashton about that, and he said, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to look at the original record. But still, you know, you're introducing inaccuracies into the record. And so
2: he didn't fight. Did he, he didn't disagree that it was inaccurate, or he
3: just he had, did he, he even remember it that well? I mean, he had all, I don't remember if he remembered it that well. You know, he said, what we do know is that the fingerprint was not Ziegler's. And um, so, yeah.
0: So um, we have a couple comments from readers. I'm just going to take a break so we can, um, you know, see how people are weighing in. So first of all, uh, someone says, hi from Sydney. Thank you, Stan. Um, Dahlia wants to know, why are they denying it? I think that's a great question. It's a thing that has come up a lot. Sure. Um, So...
3: The reason that they're denying it is because the state's DNA law says that in order to um, allow DNA testing, the results have to exonerate the person. So, for example, if you raped somebody... um, and it shows somebody else's DNA there. Well, we know for sure that that's the that, that they have per- the, wrong the person guy. that they yeah. have the wrong guy. But when it's reasonable doubt, when when the blood is only going to show reasonable doubt, as in this case, well, did he have blood on his shirt? Did he not? That kind of thing. The 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 law requires it to be dispositive, and so that's why um, you know. It, I think some people think cases like this where, you know, we don't know and we should be allowed to test the blood and and, and evaluate it, um, you know, and t- and consider the reasonable doubt aspect of it. Um, but the state law doesn't allow it. So that's why. And, of course, the prosecutor's fighting it, says it, it isn't needed. The judges agree. Um, well, you know. and
2: the judge is not rehashing the whole case. The judge isn't reconsidering the whole case. The co- judge is just saying, um, should I allow the DNA test? And they're not taking into account all the things that have happened over the years and all the holes that have been poked into the case. They're just saying, would this one thing change the way I look at the rest of the evidence? And so far it's been, no, it, it wouldn't. And I, and I, you know, Leonor also uh, interviewed some judges who talked about the way the system is set up. The system is set up to kind of move things forward, not not do a lot of introspection because then it kind of comes to a grinding
3: halt. So what a judge told me was finality. Um, you know, if he spends too much on Bob's case, then Sam's case over here doesn't get handled. So there has to be an end an end game for cases, and we can't keep going on and on and on forever. So the mm-hmm. system. Is not set up, to and then
2: Ziegler's supporters and his defense attorneys, of course, and people like the Innocence Project will argue that if they tested the DNA, they would look at all the other evidence differently, and so then they they might in fact come to a conclusion that that he wasn't involved, um, that he was an innocent bystander, but only if they put it all together.
3: So. I mean, I, I I the I have a I got a copy of the proposal that Ziegler's lawyers submitted to. Irama um, Sayala for consideration. And it tells exactly how they think um, they would be able to show him innocent completely based on the results. And I can go into that right now if you want me to.
2: Or do you want
0: to keep, keep well, going? Let's go with them. I do want to hear that. But what happens if they do find him to be innocent?
2: Well, I don't think that's what would happen. What would happen is if they tested the DNA and it it's I don't, for instance, if they tested the DNA and they found somebody's DNA there that wasn't one, one, that's not already a victim or a Ziegler, right. then they'd be probably raising questions about who that person was. It would probably give them a new trial, right?
3: Yeah, you overturn the case if there's reasonable doubt, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, Or whether
2: a judge would pardon him at that yeah, point if yeah. they felt like it wasn't worth trying the case again. So many of the
3: principals are dead now. It's been so many years. This has happened several times, actually, recently. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a guy named... Um, say his name uh, but Clemente Javier Aguirre Jarkin thank you Wow, and he is he's Honduran, a classic what? he's a Honduran immigrant he's a classic case of everything pointed to him everything the, he, there was two women killed there was blood everywhere they were stabbed multiple times he was a Honduran immigrant and they lived next door had gone in to get beer um he found them dead and he said he checked to see if they were alive and he picked up the knife because he thought somebody was there. You know, he thought somebody else. Thought the so killer he's got was still his fingerprints there. on the knife and um blood their blood on his clothes oh, and no, of course no. he's guilty. He spent fourteen years in prison. Finally he got DNA testing and it showed that this granddaughter who had who had um, you know, admitted to the crime that she uh that her blood was in eight locations it, in this, in this, in the uh, th- where they were murdered, and the testing and, sort of affirmed his story. The testing was, affirmed yeah. his story, but the prosecutors still didn't want to want to release him initially, and it wasn't. He spent another four years after that, those results, and then finally he was released just earlier last year. Um, you know, James Bain, he's not a death row case, but he spent thirty five years in prison um, for a rape of a nine year old boy. Um, 1974 is when he was convicted um, and he asked for DNA testing five times and on the fifth time it showed that he wasn't guilty and he was released after 35 years in prison. So you know, there's a lot of other cases like this.
2: go back to the question. So why won't they let the testing go on? I mean, so, yes, there's some of it is, like, you don't want to disrupt justice in the way the system works. And, like, the judges say, they want to support the jury's verdict. The jury did this work, and you want to support it. But also, um, I mean, you got to imagine that, think about what it would mean to the state of Florida if they had to admit that they had the wrong man on death row for 42 years. Um, And that not only that, but that they been fighting these efforts um some men on death row have gone to their have been executed without getting the dna tests so you know we don't know whether they were guilty or innocent um completely but uh so i i can't i mean part of it i'm sure is you just like these are this was a big case and proving this case and sending the killer away um that that would be I, i mean what would the state owe tommy ziegler if it turned out that he'd been on death row all these years and he shouldn't have been.
0: So are you saying it's kind of a pride thing or a reputation thing?
2: Well, I mean, I would think that if you were involved in that case, that that, you, that would be tough. You wouldn't, you know, I mean, part of you, obviously you're, you're out. If you're a prosecutor, you're trying to find the truth. But um, I mean, and it's been interesting when Leonora was and she was able to talk to the prosecutor, the man who, who prosecuted uh, Tommy Ziegler all those years ago. And that guy has no doubt he, mm-hmm. he is. To this day, he's convinced he got the right man.
3: I, I thought when I went to them that they'd be hiding things and that, you know, that it was they were they knew. But and no, they truly, truly, truly believe that this may, that he's guilty. And and it's so interesting because um, Terry Hadley, who is Ziegler's original attorney, he says, you know, these are not bad guys, but this is what happens in a case. And. You know, it goes back to you. You pick the, th- and this happened in this case too. You pick the things that support your your hypothesis, and you dismiss everything else. You lose witness statements that tend to not, um, you know, support what you're trying to say. And they did that quite a bit in this case. There, there were several witness statements that statements that were not turned over to the defense lawyers. Um, you know. It, all sorts of re- police reports not turned over to the defense lawyers. Um, you know, so it has... A, interestingly, that hasn't gotten him a new trial. I mean, like... No, none of it. The fact,
2: <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that there were other other crimes being committed that night, or people on the prowl who, who seemed to be up to no good, um, the fact that there were witnesses who heard um, lots of shots or saw more more cars in front of the store, I mean, the none of that has, has gotten him a new trial, even though it it all seems like it raises questions about right. the prosecution's theory.
0: It's interesting. So we have some readers who are sharing their thoughts. Um, so Dave Hood says, they cover up to protect how wrong they get it. The people really know the truth of the system and only has the power in convictions. Maybe more innocent people would be free and the taxpayer's money wouldn't be stolen. Uh, Lynn Marie Cardi says, career felon. Robert Foster's DNA on Tommy's clothes would totally prove his innocence. The state says Robert Foster, whose name was listed as a key material witness against Tommy in newspapers for three weeks after the murders, is not and never was a real person. He is real and he is alive.
2: So, Lynn Marie, of course, is is. Uh, a- uh, shout out to her. She's been uh, the, the uh, private investigator on this case for a lot of years. She felt he was innocent and set about trying to to poke holes in the case and succeeded in poking a lot of holes in the case, right?
3: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, Lynn Marie has spent the past, um, I think since 2011, working on this case, and she has really um, pushed it forward quite a bit. In fact, a uh, the latest blood um, – the latest request for blood analysis includes a lot of her findings. So um, one, one thing I, w- I wanted to say is um, uh, this um, – Robert Dunham from the Death Penalty Information Center had this great quote, I thought. And it said, the lesson from DNA cases is not that it has the possibility of establishing someone else did it. The DNA proves that all other evidence in the case is wrong. So it's just kind of you know that's what they're learning. I mean, Seth had that great quote about you know they're not lo- no longer a monster like we thought that um, right. Clemente Javier Javier Javier. I'm sorry. Say, Aguirre Jarkin Jarkin. We thought that he killed two people and stabbed them right. thousands of times, but he had nothing to do with it. You know, I mean, right. it's just so interesting that. Just or let's I mean,
2: or it could point to him. I mean, like, you know, back in 1975, Tommy Ziegler wasn't sitting around thinking about what DNA was going to do. Right. So if he did it, then presumably, I mean, he wasn't doing sophisticated like forensic cover up right back in the day. I mean, presumably. And oh, and we should talk about that a lot. The evidence is in in Orange County um, stored. Uh, and the experts that you've talked to have said it should be OK. They're like they take into account that it's been all these years, um, but everything's been
3: held on to. So. Right. There's fingernail clippings. There's clothes. Um, each victim's blood sample is there. Um, you know, it, it it they could get some answers from that evidence, but they're, you know, so far they've been told no. Um, their new. Do you want me to go into their newest proposal uh, right now? Or,
0: sure. Or do you have somebody that... Oh, um, there's a couple other comments that we've had come in. So Ray McEachern said the blood on Eunice's coat was never tested. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, Jared Moore wants to know, does he still have the funds to pay for this? And uh, Lynn Marie says his lawyers want to pay for this. Yeah. And I have a question. So how much would this even cost? You know? Um, well, I mean,
3: I don't know. I don't know how much because, um, I guess some of it would
2: depend on how complete an analysis they're doing. And, but it has dropped considerably since back in the
3: day. Yeah. It it was $10,000 a square back in 2001. Yeah. So um, how big is a square? Like and an they inch. They were little inch squares. Oh off his wow! Shirt. Okay. So
2: yeah. yeah, and no, uh, to Ray's point, uh, Ray McEachern's point, uh, her clothes. A lot of the cl- a lot of the evidence has never been tested for DNA. Only, right. Only that small uh, snatch of his shirt, and then uh, stuff of Char- Charlie Mays' pants. Right.
3: Right. Charlie Mays's pants, and that was the other thing they found Perry Edwards Senior's blood on the knee and the bottom trouser cuffs of Perry Ed- of um, Charlie, Mays. Charlie Mays's pants.
2: Um, Let's talk about the blood a little bit. So, I mean, obviously, so we, um, you know, we wrap this whole series around the DNA testing because to us, I mean, while it's an interesting case and you're going back all these years to sort of another era and um, and and the thought of perhaps somebody who's innocent on on death row is intriguing, we thought the, there had to be a reason to kind of go back there now. And the fact that the DNA is an obstacle and that that, that, that testing not happening. But um, I was going to say, so one of the fascinating things, of course, about going back to the 70s and blood work, um, like you said, they didn't do everything they could have done. But then they also brought this expert in, this guy named Herm McDonald, Mac- McDonald, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing it correctly. And he was he in the 70s, in the 80s, all the way up through the OJ Simpson trial he was a big deal he was like writing books he was calling himself the Sherlock Holmes of you know blood work the Galileo the of, Galileo
3: yes of blood of what was it the Galileo of blood yes Something like
2: that. um so and it was all based on like he could walk into a room allegedly look at all the splatter and decide what happened in that crime scene well so you fast forward all of these decades later, and you've got all these groups, you know, the, all the people who are kind of coming forward with expertise and saying, "That's not science. That's just like six people could walk into a room who all claim to be blood spatter experts and tell you different things about what happened." So he was a big deal in trial, and you had like one of the jurors talk to you about like how much he meant in terms of convincing her. That this is what had happened, and then it turns out all of that is bunk. Now that's what people like they've it, his work has just been totally debunked.
3: Well, um, in two thousand nine, there was this report that that um, criticized not only blood spatter analysis but um, hair comparison analysis, all the you know bite mark comparisons, um, and so uh, you know actually. Um McDonnell started his blood spatter analysis way back in the early 1970s. He's one of the first, and he actually is responsible for spreading it around the country. He right. trained hundreds of people, including the detective, the young detective, um, Don Fry that was on Ziegler's case. He was 29 years old. He'd just been to um, Fry's blood spatter school. And he trained him. And um, so now, uh, you know, blood spatter analysis has now been found to not to be less science, more speculation. It's based on each person. And can you really spend one week and know how blood drops and that this person's innocent and this person's guilty based on it? You know, um, so... Uh, You know, the interesting thing is ProPublica did a piece on um, blood spatter analysis, and they looked at McDonald and they determined that he, from his first class in 1973, which is two years before the crime, until 45 years later, because of him, this blood spatter analysis spread to 36 states. And... Thousands of cases. Thousands of cases. And um, so, you know... um, and, and, and of course, he's, you know, he's still there. He's 90 years old. I couldn't get a hold of him, but he... He didn't want to talk to you. No. um <laughs> But he, you know, so... Uh, but McDonald, McDonald was a key aspect of this. And, right, so blood spatter analysis is now sort of off the table. You know, is that really accurate, what he said? And, you know... It,
2: And keep in mind, I mean, I think we had to keep reminding ourselves, I think it's easy now, everyone thinks of a murder scene, and you think, well, immediately, there's going to be forensics, and there's going to be all this work done. Well, so if you go back, McDonald testifies in the O.J. Simpson trial, we're talking 94, 95. At that point, if you think about it, I mean, we... People weren't really even understanding DNA yet. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, the process was still kind of mysterious. And so it's really come a long way in all these years. Too.
3: He, he was the one who, um, so the glove in OJ, so he. So the, the blood was supposed to have shrank because it got blood on it or whatever. That was the claim of the defense. So he took his own blood and doused another glove in blood and then photocopied it and then came forward and said, oh, see, this glove didn't shrink. And so therefore, you know, so so that's what his role was in the OJ case. Uh-huh.
2: So anyway, yeah, it, it is, it's interesting. Um, we have um, the guy, the expert, a DNA expert that the defense would hire um, is sort of ready. He's on standby, kind of like, right? He's mm-hmm. ready to go do all the testing. And what he was telling Leonora is that, yeah, he feels pretty confident that once he tests everything, he'd be able to paint a pretty good picture of what went on there. He'd let the evidence sort of tell you what went on there. And he feels pretty strongly that if Ziegler's the killer, um, he will have blood from especially Perry Edwards Sr., who was beat so badly, Um, but possibly also Eunice, right? Because Eunice was shot in the head. And so that
3: splatter would come up. I'm sorry. Um, So uh, Ziegler's attorneys believe actually that they could exonerate Ziegler simply with the blood testing, not... You anything know, else? Yeah, but simply with the blood test because
2: if it would show he wasn't near the other bodies potentially, like right. if, they, if there was nothing on him, then say okay, so here's a couple other bodies that he's not anywhere near.
3: Well, well, also science has advanced to allow us to determine more. So there's several things. For starters, um, you know, Perry Edwards Senior was shot at close range. Um, some people say as close as two inches, as far as I think six inches you know, and that produces back spatter, um, it, the bull, you know, it, it, it's, even if it's not going to produce big droplets, it's going to produce a very fine mist. Okay. And it's going to be on the killer. Um, and the same with Eunice Sickler. She was shot, I think three to six inches away from the back of the head and her blood, they found her blood on the wall behind and she's going to, she's that, that person's killer is going to have blood on them. um, and then you have Z- Eunice Ziegler's uh, herringbone jacket. <clears throat> there was blood found on her lapel on both the outside and the inside of the lapel as if somebody had, you know, um, touched that with bloody hands. And also blood was found on her a piece uh, like her. Pants and on the inside of her shoe, like a little droplets. They don't know how it got there. It didn't come from her being shot in the back of the head. That McDonald testified to that. So they feel like Eunice might have been staged. That she may have, somebody buttoned up her her jacket, and if so, that person's touch DNA is going to be on her on her on the buttons of her jacket. Also, that spot that I mentioned with the lapel where there's blood on both sides. Um, they say that. You're not only going to find out whose blood that was, OK, you're also going to find out who dropped it there because that person's touch DNA is going to be mixed in with the actual blood. Even if that blood is from another victim, you're going to find somebody else there. So they say that they can show that somebody else, first off, that he doesn't have any of their blood on his on his clothes. And it's also that these other people's touch DNA and uh, possible blood could be in all these locations. And <clears throat> that, uh, you know, one of the theories is, well, the raincoat, well, was he wearing a raincoat so the blood didn't get on him? And so, well, th- they they produced, you know, a lot about that. And what they said was that, you know, well, even if he was wearing the raincoat, his shoes and his pants would get the blood because when you have back spatter, it comes in a cone-like shape and it, sort of like like a mist like a mist yeah. and, it, and it, it flies over you in a cone shape and it comes down and it drops and it, it covers all of you and so it's going to be not only on possibly his shoes and his tr- trousers if he was wearing a raincoat but also on the leading edge of his um, cu- sleeve right where he shot you know it, it would have splattered up the sleeve and gotten on his shirt so you're going to find the blood there um, you know, and, and so they say that they think they can prove unequivocally that he didn't do it with these tests.
2: So that's that's where we are right now. I, I sh- will say so if you haven't read the series or listen to the podcast and go back, it, it really is fascinating to see the way this case um unraveled sort of in the 70s Um, some of the speculation that went on not just you were talking about in recent court hearings but back in the day so you have the detective basically making all these um, kind of dealing in rumors in front of the grand jury and that leads to uh, the indictments and talking uh, like you know that clearly he's gay that Ziegler must be gay and that that's why he killed people in a certain way, why the men are beat up and the women are just shot and um, and all this stuff that today I just I don't it just wouldn't be handled the same way. This case would never be handled the same way.
3: No, it, it, it would be quite different. Um, one, you know, uh, I think that Ziegler's um, attorneys have tried have, their their latest proposal is just so thorough and um 49 pages yeah 49 pages and it really shows you how he might be found innocent um and 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 I, I I just can't imagine somebody rejecting that proposal but you know I'm I'm I mean I don't know you know I mean it's just it's it's pretty incredible um,
2: you want to talk a little bit about meeting Ziegler and what that's been like I mean I know one of the things that worked against him was his demeanor and Um, this sort of like, I I don't, apparently he didn't really expect to be convicted. Right. I mean, I think he thought nobody would really, once he got up there and said, I didn't do it or, you know, that that would be sort of the end of it. But
3: yeah, they were shocked. I think they, they really didn't think that he would be convicted. So, um, I've met Ziegler maybe three, four times on death row. Um, and he is, um, hard to know, very difficult to know, um, you know he's he's but also part of that is you know he's been in a cell for 42 years i mean yeah it's um, hard to tell whether yeah it's his personality
2: know, or whether his personality has been affected by being in prison all these years
3: yeah i i mean i think that um you know he had a, a personality that wasn't particularly emotional to begin with and then now he's in death in a cell for 42 years so you know you're it, it, i when i when i when i when i listen to him um, you know, I, I do believe him. And, you know, Ashton said, well, he has the ability to, Ashton is Jeff Ashton, the prosecutor said, well, he has the ability to say, get people to believe anything. And, and it
2: seems like he's telling the
3: truth. That he make it seem so the like. the prosecutor
2: he's a, thinks he's, it yeah. like it seems like he's telling the truth. Right. But he doesn't really and, and think so.
3: when I listen to Ziegler, I believe him. I mean, you know, I do believe him, but I look at the evidence and I, I, I can't, put it all together and say, you know, that that's one of the big problems, you have these loose ends, all these people that, you know, testified against him. And, um, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of little details. And there's one other thing, there's 1000s of tips, details um that didn't get in the story actually i should probably use this opportunity to, to,
2: to do some of those yes. yeah there, there's one um that's so heard. just so you all know like Leonora and i have done battle over this story for a lot of months because she kept trying to put all like she kept trying to add more things and i kept trying to take them out because it's so complicated anyway and then they're just all these other things like the like the potential that that you know the speculation that Ziegler could have had sex with a corpse. And I'm like, what do I do with that? That's like some prosecutor in some hearing. He says this, but it seems ludicrous. But um, you know, especially because like he barely had time to do anything, right? If if even if he if he did all this, like they said, he had a sh- small window, but. Um, Anyway, so we like. There's a lot of stuff that didn't make it in, a which is just to say that yes, she has a lot of stuff piled up that didn't make it in.
3: Like for example, there's this one guy in town um, who saw Ziegler and his wife heading to the store um, right before the supposed murders. I'm sorry, supposed (laughs) murders, right before the murders. I'm sorry. There there was a guy happen? yeah, there was a guy who, um, you know, who saw them and said, I saw Tommy and Eunice heading to the store by themselves at this particular time. Well, the car that he said he saw them in, Ziegler got rid of it three months before. So, you know, what to make of that? Do we add that in? And then there were people who, you know, saw four cars there. And then there were people that saw two cars there. And there were people who saw, Two cars there, and one of them, the wheels were up on the on the on the sidewalk, and there were people who saw black men leaving the store. Um, at, you know, all within this time period. So there, there were just so many. There were, I think I went through and counted. There were like fifty-one people who drove by, or stopped nearby, or were across the street, or saw something at the Ziegler store that night. And I could not get every each, all 51 of them into this story, this, this, you know. the story. The
2: thing that kept that kept gnawing at me is like, if you were going to kill your wife, if you wanted to kill your wife, would you do it like this? With such a dramatic, like, would you involve the in-laws? Would you try to frame people? Would you do it? Or would you do it in a quieter way? I mean, like, okay, like a if if that was the case if there was a reason why he was after his wife and that was the motive that was seemed to be the only motive was either his marriage was in uh, in bad shape because he was a gay man and she was going to out him or he wanted the insurance money then why not kill her some other way and ma- i don't know maybe that's you know it's, maybe it's not a rational thing you know maybe it was a spur of the moment thing but it just seems strange to me like it it's either really plotted out or um, if you did do a spur of the moment thing, I just couldn't imagine involving this
3: many people. Like, right? It, he had to plan it down to the minute. I mean, because the timing of going out to the orange grove, coming back. There's bodies on the. If if you believe that, there's bodies in the furniture store when all that's happening. He's leaving and he's coming back. You know, right. um, it it. There's a lot that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but here's here's an interesting an interesting tip. So. Tons of these came in. So apparently, um, I think it was let's see, in January. So very early January. This is like le- just two weeks after the um, the murders. Uh, somebody calls a man named Nathaniel Brown. Calls, um, let's see, I guess Ziegler's attorneys, and says, "I know something." Okay, so Ziegler and his cousin go to meet. Um, and then they go over to one of Ziegler's attorney's offices and they talk. Okay, this man named Nathaniel Brown, um, he was wearing a silk shirt, high heels, a purse, and plum nail polish. He was a cross-dresser. That's nice detail, the plum nail polish. The plum nail polish that, that came from the cousin, yes, Connie Crawford. Okay. Um, so anyways, he, so he, this is what he said. He said that... Um, The situation was a setup, an attempt to get Mr. Ziegler either by killing him or by implicating Tommy because of an incident that occurred several years ago. Um, Nathaniel told them that it was set up by a white man, name unknown, and that there were two black males still remaining out named Jerry and Don. Um, And apparently Jerry had a glass eye. Um, Anyways, Jerry was apparently shot in the right shoulder during the incident. And it's presently located somewhere in Oakland holed up with his wound he does not know the last names nor where they live. he stated that they were paid a thousand dollars to do, do the job he said they came up in a green van truck he said that all of the dead persons were dead at the time Tommy arrived and he said the weapons were white clean which they were so if you know there's some things that like Lynn Marie Carty takes this this you know tip and she says. Um, you know, that that these are that this is the plot. These are the people that that um, Perry Edwards, Jr., um, possibly hired these people. She found a guy named Slim, who apparently died many years ago, who had been shot in the shoulder um, up in Georgia. Um, you know, it's just it seems to parallel things. It seems to not be quite right, but something seemed. So, Nathaniel Brown just disappears, and he's on the witness list. And Ziegler's lawyers say that the prosecution told them that he had died in a shootout, um, but Marie found that he died actually in 2010. So he kind of just faded, and his tip mm. faded. And but it's just like all little things like that, you know. There was tons of these types of tips. Tons of them.
0: We have a couple more comments to to read. So, Lemary did say, Mary Stewart did have a glass eye. <laughs> Ray says, the prosecution tried to get a man to testify that he was Tommy's lover. He refused and was then prosecuted for oh. murder and acquitted.
3: Yes, um, that's, that's uh, another and thing. And now we are in yes. As the World Turns. Yes, yes. so yes. so I forgot about wow. that. There's a, a guy named Alan Dara who was in prison um, and apparently, uh, let me think. Who was it? Somebody. I think it's Hadley. Somebody went to go talk to him and saw where Don Fry had been to see him the day before. And mm-hmm. Don Fry had said, if you said you if you you know, if you say you had a homosexual affair with this person, we'll give you we'll we'll throw away your conviction or some such. So this guy felt he could be found innocent anyway because of based on his case and did not agree to the to say this, he was a homosexual, this, this man, um, and, and, known homosexual. And so, uh, and, and refused to do it. But then he told Tommy's lawyers about this. So it just shows sort of the, the, the era and people trying to convince people to testify. So it works for their case.
2: This is like you were saying too, I think like, at Hadley's told you that people kind of latched onto a theory and they didn't let go of it. Like, you know they they thought there was a rational explanation for this crime, and Z, with Ziegler at the center of it, and then just wanted to kind of keep you know beating that trauma and not opening their uh opening up the 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 assumption there might be something else that went on here but
3: there, there's a lot about how you you get i tried to do some research on this about how you come to an opinion and then it's really hard to knock you off that opinion once you've um, you know, you start looking for things that support your... I mean, it's almost like politics, Democrats and Republicans. You know, you... you kind of lock into your you lock point in of view and, and, you're, yeah. and you And you are unable to see anything else, you know?
0: So there's another question. Leonora, uh, did you try to contact May's son who saw his father take the gun to the store that night? I did, um, multiple ways, and I was unable to reach him.
3: So um, he... he um, uh, I did I stopped at how a house I, I left letters I did I tried really hard to get the maze and I couldn't I couldn't reach any of them so
0: and then another question that we had that we discussed earlier um, how have the, this new generation of people who are working on the case changed their approach compared to when this started all you know four decades ago
2: you mean in terms of the prosecution yes yeah. like sort of generationally prosecutors today uh, some of them anyway seem to be taking a different tact um, uh, in terms of like feeling like uh, that's that's why anayala would do a conviction integrity unit because it, even if it makes them look bad they're trying to do the right thing right presumably um, and you're you've been talking about some some of the we, that's something else we didn't get into the series but how some of the younger prosecutors that have come up of late are very much of the school of let's if we must, let's take a look at these old cases, right?
3: Yeah, conviction integrity units um, are have the first one was in Dallas in 2007, mm-hmm. and they've spread to Chicago, New York, Fort Worth, different places. And like I said, here in Florida, we only have three of them so far. So that means that a lot of places there are no conviction integrity units, and people just have to figure it out on their own, you know? Yeah. All right, well, I think we're running out of time here.
0: Right, I I think that all of the questions have been answered. Thank you guys all so much for taking the time to watch with us, engage with us, ask us questions. And if anyone else has any more questions, what's the best way to get in contact with you guys?
2: So uh, email llapeter at tampabay.com. All right. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, again, the series is available at tampabay.com slash blood and truth. And the podcast is on all major platforms. This conversation will be there tomorrow as well. And we appreciate you for listening and reading. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free that's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads Spin your passion into a business with shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout let's hear that one more time